welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's October the 11th, 2023. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Um, really excited today to have the opportunity um, to be able to talk to the Reinhardts, Brenda and Joe, about their family, um, and particularly to talk about this, the subject of special needs adoption. And uh, and so I won't get into a ton of their story, except to say that um, part of my excitement today, honestly, is that uh, those of you that listen to the podcast know that special needs adoption is near and dear to to my heart and, and to Denise's heart and, and something that we we believe in deeply here at Lifeline as well is uh, that all children, all people are created in the image of God and, and worthy of dignity um, and worthy of love because because we're created, all of us, in the image of our Creator. And so today we're going to get to talk about a family um, that is walking out that story in a really special way. But before we get there, um, we have a promo to do. And uh, and so today's promo is about special needs adoption. So as I said at Lifeline, we believe that every child, no matter their ability, uh, no matter their needs, is, is worthy of love and family and belonging. Uh, right now, we're seeing an increased need for families to show children with a variety of special needs um, that they're that they're worthy of love and and that they have a place in the family. Both that that's both domestically and internationally. By the way, we're seeing a rising number of children with special needs that are waiting to thrive in a family. And so, the question today that we'd ask you to consider is: How is God calling your family to help? Uh, it may be through adoption. It may be through advocacy. There are a lot of ways that you can help. Um, and and we'd love for you to pray about what it is that God might use you to do um, as as we seek to um, to, to really celebrate uh, the specialness of, of a lot of a lot of children with uh, special needs. And so you can find out more by visiting lifelinechild.org backslash special dash needs dash adoption or you can go to the show notes that's lifelinechild.org backslash special dash needs dash adoption for those of you that are regular listeners we made sure to work the dashes back in there because we uh apparently decided that we're good so here we go um so just send, send us your mail we, we we always love to hear it um <laughs> but uh but before we uh before we get started i just want to introduce our um our guest today and uh and really what I'm going to do is ask them to introduce themselves because uh, there's the Reinhardt family is uh, they're a pretty special bunch. And uh, and in addition to Joe and Brenda, there are uh, bio kids. There are three uh, girls that, are, that have come home through adoption. Uh, all are from China. One came home through domestic adoption. There's a lot to tell in their story. Um, and so rather than me trying to like read a bio and try to introduce them, I'm going to get them to just tell us a little bit about themselves. So Brenda, I'm going to kind of throw it to you and then let let you um let you bring Joe in and and just tell us about who who you guys are. Hi, thank you. I am Dr. Brenda Reinhart. I am a mom to nine wonderful children. I also have nine beautiful grandchildren. And I work as a, a doctor of psychology um, in I.O. specifically, um, and I'm married to this wonderful man next to me, Joe Reinhardt. Uh, I'm Joe Reinhardt. Uh, I work for Cisco Systems, and 
they've been very supportive of our journey. So that's a plus, but uh, glad to be talking with you today. Well, I'm really excited to be talking to y'all. I have to say that we we had to take a run at this a little bit ago. Uh, it had a little bit of a technical glitch, and Brenda introduced herself a little differently. And and so, um, you know, I think there was something in there about the most wonderful wife or something like that. And and, and well, Joe like agreed. Joe, yes, Joe did agree. I think to him, uh, I, I think he agreed because it's my birthday today. Remember? <laughs> That's right. Happy birthday. And and we all, we, we all wish you a happy birthday. And everybody needs to be told how wonderful they are on their birthday, right? Yeah. Um, thank you. Well, um, so I, we just want to, you know, kind of dive right in to the conversation. And I think maybe the first place to start is um, – Really, just what what drew you as a family um, toward adopting a child with special needs and, and particularly through international adoption? That was a very interesting story because God pulled us like he often does, little by little by little. It reminded me very much of when um, Abraham asked God where to go. And basically, you know, God just leads us step by step in the right direction, but not necessarily telling us the end result. Um, because I think he knows us well enough to know that we'd probably completely panic. But <clears throat> because honestly, how many people would say, you know, at one point in their life, they're empty nesters to six adult children. And if God had told us right then and there, OK, you know, in your future, you're going to adopt three kids with Down syndrome from China. I don't know that I would have been able to accept that or know what to do with it. So God led us little by little. And the very first point was he gave me a dream of a little girl with a soup bowl haircut that had Down syndrome. And she was walking down the hallway of our house and she got to our door and she opened it. She's just a toddler. And she said, um, mommy and daddy. And so I thought, well, that's really interesting because, you know, we're way past that. We're going to have more children. And so our kids were getting old enough to have kids. And we started thinking, oh, well, I think God's going to give us a special needs grandchild. And he's just showing me that that's happening. And, and then I, but I couldn't let like, go of the fact that this child was saying, calling us mommy and daddy. And I didn't want to think about what the implications of that might be. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. So the dream happened a couple of different times and we were so busy in our lives, like crazy busy. We had written and um, had a, a book published um, together as a couple. We were both professional couples. So Joe was working in his industry in IT. I was working in healthcare administration and we were just rocking it as a career couple. I mean, we didn't have time for much else. I mean, uh, both actively involved in our network groups. I was leading groups for um, imaging um, leaders, speaking at conferences. We were both national speakers at that point. And it was, it was crazy. There was no way to fit anything else in. But God has a way of showing you what's really, really important. And so the dream continued. Um, I had it a couple of different times. I decided to quit my job of eight years um, as a hospital administrator and go instead to um, consulting. And I took a position in a completely different city and we weren't there very long at all. And God said, hey, remember that dream? And I was like, oh, Lord, we're, 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 I'm a traveling worker. We're living in an RV. 
I don't have time for this. Look at, look at our situation, Lord. It's not like I'm going to go in and type in on my computer um, to the Washington State Adoption um, website and say, there's a little girl right there with a soup bowl haircut and Down syndrome that needs me to adopt her. And I was so mad. I was literally stomping. It was wet, stomping, 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 got into my office, threw my stuff down, walked over to the computer just so I could show God that I was right. And I went on to the Washington State adoption site. And there was like literally they put like, you know, 10 kids per page. And I had to scroll through numerous pages and I got all the way to what I thought was the end. And I was like, see, I told you, God. And I clicked on the very last page. And there was a little girl, three years old, simple haircut with Down syndrome that needed to be adopted. And I bawled and bawled. You don't cry. I know. I don't don't ever cry. But I cried my eyes out. I closed my door. I couldn't believe it. And the first thing I did when I composed myself is I called him and I was like, do you know what just happened? telling him the whole thing and just shaking because I knew that God was showing us that this is where we were going to end up. And from that point forward, even though we hadn't truly committed yet, we knew that was our journey. We knew that that's where we were going to go. And we didn't know how we were going to get there because we weren't in any place to qualify at that point. So from there, that position ended abruptly and it was a one-year contract. And then I went to Vancouver. And I was in what a contract that wasn't didn't have necessarily an end date. And it was interesting because the people God placed in my life at that point were all talking about adoption. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting to me because I was like, okay, okay, well, God must want us to get involved in their adoption. I know what we'll do. We <laughs> we will support these other families financially. We will go to bat for them. Joe, uh, you know, we, we started watching things on foster care and all these cute little movies and we're going to do this. And we, we put on our, we put on our armor of God <laughs> with the intention of supporting other families and adoption. Like fine, we would just make every sacrifice possible to fight, you know, financially support them. And it, we started talking to people and, and it was funny. People usually want to take money from you just to do something like that. And people were not open to that. They thought we were being weird. And I don't really understand why. I mean, it is kind of funny to walk up to somebody and say, you're considering adoption. Let me pay for that. You know, people don't want to hear that out of your mouth. Um, and it's uh, it was a funny thing. But so that that position ended very abruptly for me and because they brought management in the different management wiped out all the senior leadership i mean it was a total overhaul and i found myself just one day going oh wow okay well now i need to look for another position and so it took us back home and when we went back home we uh, just knew that we were supposed to do something more than just financially support And so we were going through, continuing to go through our series of changes. We sold our house. We went into an interim situation in another house before we could buy the other house that we wanted. And we felt like we needed to do all of those things to get them done before God would make us ready to do what he wanted us to do. And that wasn't the case at all. Surprise. So we, uh, we said, then we, then we prayed together and we said, oh, God must want us to do foster care. That's what it is. God wants us to do foster care. And so we went down and we did our 40 hours of training for foster care. 
and we had gotten involved with an agency to do because people had given us advice. You want to do your home study through an agency. You don't want to do it through the state. And so we got involved with an agency and this, I just give them lots of uh, kudos, uh, this agency that we first got involved with in Washington, because they were, they had to, they had to stay with us through the crazy, through the, oh, we want this. Don't, we want that. No, God must want us to do that because we really didn't know. All we knew is we were wandering in the desert and God was just mm. pulling us along, guiding us where he wanted us to go. A little at a time. Yeah, a little at a time. And then one day I just finally had enough of my own craziness. And I went in to the agency with, well, pulling Joe along. Come on, come on, come on. We need to go talk to them in person because I can't stand this up and down, up and down. I don't know what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and they were so nice and so gracious. They just met with us right then and there. And we all sat around and I said, and I told them about the dream again. And our worker said, you know what? I knew exactly what you need. And she showed us these little girls from China and all of them had Down syndrome. And the second we saw them, we knew it was like right then and there. It and was like, haircuts. yeah, little super haircuts. And we knew, we knew. <laughs> and I couldn't say at that time that any of those little girls were the little girl in my dream, but we knew it was like this instant connection. So we jumped on that, um, on that train uh, to see where it would lead. And the agency was great. They set us up with other people who had adopted kids that had Down syndrome. Um, the person, the very first person who ever adopted a child from China with Down syndrome. And we became fast friends and we started working through the process and we got all the way through. It was really funny because I have to say this too. The process doesn't go quickly. We didn't know that. When we jumped on the train, we thought we would be at our destination in two weeks, not a year. <laughs> and I called the agency up and I said, okay, what do we need to do? We're ready to go. And they, they laughed and they said, well, it takes about a year. There's a lot of paperwork. So in this year period of time, we got about two weeks before travel and they send you your last update. China will send you your last update. And we got the, the pictures in the um, in on the internet and I pulled it up in the second I pulled it up this little girl that we had loved from afar and fell in love with and developed a relationship with I never saw her as the girl in my dream mm -hmm. until that very moment they took a picture of her looking up at the camera instead of all the other photos that they had taken of her and I just melted. That was the little girl from my dream. And they hadn't realized it or recognized it because it was the way the pictures were taken. And it was it was another one of those drop to your knees and cry kind of moments. And again, I shared that with Joe. <laughs> so it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and it was it was just such a special and sweet moment. It's so great when you listen to what God's telling you to do, and then He gives you these little glimpses along the way so that, you know, you're going in the right direction. You know, and, I think I've, I've, ex I've described it to people in the past that it's a little bit like bowling on one of those lanes that's set up for children, you know, yeah. where, where God, God allows us to be able to even think that we can throw a gutter ball. But, but the truth is he's just encouraging and keeping us in the path and, and keeping us in the right direction. And, you know, and I think you're, you know, you, the testimony of your family is that, God, God was faithful to keep you in, you know, in the path and in the right direction all the way through. Um, 
And and so, man, thank you for sharing that, you know, that piece of the story. So so you got to the point that um, that you you were you were at the point of travel with your first daughter. So pick the story up there and and kind of finish out for us and and build the build the rest of your family um, for for everybody that's listening. OK, so I, I'm covering the sweet moments. We'll talk about the not so sweet moments in a little bit. But um, the sweet moments of this is that we got there and everything was storybook perfect and we could not have, it couldn't have gone any better everything about it people were looking at our experience from the outside going no way because <laughs> it is never that perfect and everyone was looking at brooklyn and saying oh my gosh she's beautiful and she's perfect and i loved it because i knew she had down syndrome but you know a lot a lot of people did and and um, she she was perfect and she is perfect. It just, it was amazing. And so we got to, we got to experience that with our lovely rose colored glasses the whole entire time that we were going through the experience. And on the last day that we were there, we stood in an upper room and with all the other families from our agency and everybody wanted to get together for a prayer and a time to just praise God and thank him for his wonderful gifts. and. We were right in the middle of the prayer, and I didn't even bother to wait to say this privately to my husband. I said it out loud. I turned and I looked at him and I said, we're going to be back here in a year. <laughs> we're going to do this again. And he said in front of everybody also, um, well, I think I'd like God to tell me that too. <laughs> and it was very good. It was very good. And so that is exactly what happened. God took some time. You want to talk about that part? Yeah, this one was kind of a surprise for me because um, I travel a lot internationally. So I was spending an inordinate, inordinately large amount of time on planes. And I was on a British Airways flight over the Atlantic. And I started praying. I said, well, you know, God, you just, I need to know. Is, is this something we're supposed to be doing? What are we, I mean, what, what's, what do you want me to do? And, and my, the answer I got was, um, you're asking the wrong question. Your question is, what's your purpose? And your purpose is to save the world, which, you know, can mean a lot of things, but it was specifically about saving a child's world. And so I was so overwhelmed that I was going to burst out crying in the middle of the airline cabin. I figured the air marshal be dragging me down and handcuffing <laughs> me. So I managed to keep it together to the bathroom and just, 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 bawled my eyes out. And then I thought, well, you know, when God really wants to get your attention, he may do it over the Atlantic, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic with uh, you know, the profound feeling. But there was no doubt at that point that that's what we were supposed to do. Yeah, so, it's funny. We've we've walked through similar circumstances, I'll just say. And I have I've learned and, and Joe, I'm sure you have as well. When when my wife tells me that she's had a word from the Lord and that something something's going to happen, it usually does in really short order. So. <laughs> I have learned that. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. So, Brenda, you're so you're headed back for uh, round two, and yeah. and you guys in a year are 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 headed toward your second adoption. Continue to unpack yeah. that for us. Well, unlike our first adoption, this adoption did not go as we as as rosy colored as we would have liked it to. Um, it started very early on. We weren't able to get the updates that we wanted. We weren't able to get the pictures that we wanted. We didn't have the time to fall in love with our child because the communication wasn't there. 
Um, this time it was an agent or a uh, an orphanage that was on the other side of the country in a more remote area. Um, and our child was in foster care instead of in the orphanage. And so the experience was completely different. We knew that she would be more attached to her foster family. Um, and we knew that because she had been in foster care longer than she'd actually mm -hmm. ever been in the orphanage. And it was an outside, you know, away from the orphanage kind of situation. And so um, we knew that was different. Uh, we sent her the gifts like all the parents do and the boxes of stuff. And she and they album. got returned yeah, and a photo album and all of it got returned to her home. And so it was super frustrating. And we were feeling kind of desperate before we ever even traveled. <clears throat> but when we traveled, it got worse. <laughs> and I will say now that none of this matters. She's a lovely, perfect little girl. I need to interject that. But she, um, her start with us was really, really difficult. And it was because we met her. She had never heard about us. Never seen us. When, when we met Brooklyn the first time, she knew who we were because they had given us the picture books and showed her. And so she called us mommy and daddy from the beginning and walked off with us and gave us a tour of the orphanage. <laughs> when we met Brinley for the first time, she sat there terrified. She didn't know anything about us. She didn't know we were there to, to be her mommy and daddy. She didn't know anything. She was just suddenly left with strangers and she was much older. We got Brooklyn at three and Brinley was eight had just um, was getting ready to celebrate her eighth birthday. We got to celebrate that with her the week that we were there um, in China. So <clears throat> totally different circumstances. And Brinley was very, um, oh, let's see, we'll say mistreated when in, in foster care. And she didn't have skin on her hands or her feet. Um, it had all been taken off. And she... Um, would try to put her hands back to be tied to a chair when she sat down and uh, just all kinds of very difficult things. Um, and she had something called megacolon, which is what happens from not using the bathroom for very, very long periods of time. And she had only been given kanji to eat. Um, and she was eight years old. And so she had suffered a great deal. Um, when I, she'd hear a baby cry, she'd go and hide behind the curtains. Um, whenever we were in the train station and she took her doll and just beat it profusely and threw it across the room. There were just all kinds of differences. So we went from this first experience of, oh, to, oh, what have we done? Have we done? <laughs> oh, oh, this is going to be hard. And and it was. It took about a year for everything to congeal, to feel like a family, to feel like we were finally getting it, and that she was finally getting to take a deep breath and relax into our family. And her health problem with the medical yeah. one thing. We it took about six months to resolve that. We took her to all kinds of specialists and did all the stuff that you have to do anytime you have a kid with Down syndrome. You're, you're going to see every specialist under no the demand. sun, find out what, you know, what care they need, that kind of thing. And and we did those things with Brooklyn too, but it was a lot more. It was a lot more that was needed with, with Brinley. And, and still now, I mean, Brinley's been home for five plus years. 
And we're just now considering, okay, maybe it's time that we take Brinley to special counseling because she's starting into the, you know, the teenage angst years. And now we're thinking, you know, let's, let's take her to counseling because she has a lot of anxiety that was produced by not only the trauma of adoption, but all the other trauma that she went through. So uh, we just love that girl to pieces and she's Super delightful sweet. and it's the sweetest, sweetest child. That's the first thing everybody always says about her. Oh my gosh, she's just so sweet um, and loving, just loving, just loves on people. Um, but we know that a lot of her behaviors are totally trauma, you know, based. And so we want to help her with that. So it's not like we get to just go through one or two years of like all this extensive stuff you have to do. It's ongoing and it's constantly um, assessing where your child is in that moment and what do they need now? Because they're always going to need something when they come from a trauma background. So that was our experience with Brindley, which is completely different. Our time and country was different. Everything about the situation was different. And so that's kind of the way the other people that were looking from the outside when we adopted Brooklyn we're more experiencing what we what we experienced with Brindley, and we were able to see that kind of full circle uh, situation in that. But Nobody just, said, ha ha, told you, but I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't always, not always, it's great, but good yeah. point, though. But you make a great point that that there, you know, every adoption is different and and you really we can't predict how, you know, how our our kids are going to respond. We can't predict how we're going to respond necessarily. You know, there's there's a lot of complexity. And and but but the fact is, um, you you stepped in an obedience in both situations. And and that's the. You know, that's really the important thing. I think one one question I'd love to kind of wedge in is to talk about your so six adult kids that are that are that are having grandkids. And that's that's the that's the environment that these little girls have been adopted into. And so what did your adult kids think about um this whole journey you've talked about you talked about the two of you and how you processed it and what god did but how did you know how did that how was that journey for your for your uh, biological kids well we had six kids and this is the part i said oh we'll talk about that part later because yeah. <laughs> that was the not so great part so we have six six adult kids right so the the number six one is also adopted and he was a domestic kinship adoption Okay. And um, and Joe jokingly says he was our adoption, adoption starter, starter kid, kid yeah. <laughs> because we we um, we got to learn a lot mm -hmm. with him. And mm -hmm. because he was adopted, he was completely um, open and overjoyed and excited about mm -hmm. us adopting more children. He he didn't have any any other attitude than that one. Yeah. Our third child, his first girl. She was overjoyed. Um, she, she, her, yeah, super excited. Um, I had always uh, you know, known she had a heart for those kinds of things. And it was the, the thing that about her is she'd adopt herself if she could. And she was in a position to do it um, financially. She would adopt because that's her heart. Mm -hmm. And so she was super excited. Um, our child number two was ambivalent. 
And that's, mm-hmm. if you can't be, if you can't be happy, then be there. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing, you know, your parents are making a decision. There were no other kids in the house. You know, it's a decision between them. And that's kind of how he said, you know, I'm not going to, you, you wouldn't tell me if I could have children and I'm certainly mm-hmm. not going to tell you if you can. And that's kind of the place that he was coming from. Uh, child one, two, and five had very strong negative opinions mm-hmm. and, or sorry, one, four and five had negative opinions. And we had to, we had to definitely uh, work through that. Um, Child number one, firstborn, born 40 years old when he came out of the womb and, (laughs) uh, you know, carried that through his entire life. And that's okay. That's who he is. We love him for who he is, but he's very strongly opinionated, lives by the rules. Everything is rule oriented. And he said this to, was definitely not something that he wanted because he wanted our focus to be on the grandchildren that they had given us. So we started having grandchildren at the end of 2013 and they were not in the position to accept that their only child and still their only child was born with special needs. And because that was something that they didn't choose why would and we volunteer? Why for would it? we volunteer for it? Exactly. <laughs> why would we choose to adopt kids with special needs when when they had no choice and it was thrust upon them and they had very negative feelings about it? Yeah. So, and you know, I think everybody wants to feel important to their parents. It's something we all crave. We always want our parents to be proud of us and we want their attention. And if, if most kids would admit it, they want to be number one, they want to be the favorite, right? That's the way that it works. And, you know, having a doctorate in psychology, I totally get that. And I understood it. So Josh and I, which was my firstborn, we actually went to counseling together and we worked through a lot of the issues with it. Um, Naomi, um, child number four, second girl, also had very strong feelings. She also has a child with special needs. And so, and her, her son's needs are very profound. Um, And they were seriously struggling with accepting it and with how are we going to manage this in our lives? There was a lot of hurt there. And we, again, totally understood it. That was something that, I mean, you got to get that there too. There, both of those kids had kids with special needs and didn't choose it. And we were, we were choosing it. And to them, it felt like we were saying, you can't handle it, but we can, you Mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't at all. We were just obedience to what God called us to do. You've got one, but we've got two. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, kind of thing. They thought, they thought, that's how they, they thought we were doing it. You know, like, you know, we were upstaging them or something. And it it had had nothing to do with walking in obedience to God. And, you know, eventually we were able to work that out with both of them. Um, our, our child number five is just, um, a, he's a prodigal son and we, um, he just feels lost in the world. There's not anything that you can do until your child's ready to come back. Um, but, um, through this entire process, he's never met any of his three sisters. He hasn't been a part of our family since 2012. 
And there's nothing that we can do about that. So I wouldn't say that he has a strong opinion, negative opinion. Mm -hmm. We just don't know what his opinion even is. Um, But it was it was hard. It was really hard to work through those things with the two that we that had children with special needs, because you you have to be really sensitive to their heart in it. And yet still say, I know you're hurting. I'm willing to work this through with you, but God is calling us to do this. And that is something that we cannot ignore. Well, thank you for your transparency. I, I think, you know, we we delve into these conversations many times and I think we we press into the to the challenges of of our, our kids that have come from hard places and and, you know, and their trauma. And we delve into the to the difficulty of that and the complexity that special needs bring. But but I think sometimes we don't we don't talk about the the other relationships that exist around and and the difficulty that um, that a call to adopt, you know, places on on those relationships. And so I just I appreciate you being um, transparent and honest, but also the example of the fact that those are those are not reasons not to be obedient. <laughs> those are those are reasons to to work and and to to press in. And so even, you know, even the example of, of continuing to, to work through press into those relationships, seek counseling, those things are, um, are just really healthy and, and what we would hope, you know, for, you know, for every family. And so I, I really appreciate you, you know, sharing that piece. Um, so I, you alluded to this a, a little bit earlier, just with especially talking about some of the the medical needs of of your children. But, um, you know, how, you know, just in a really insanely practical way, how has adopting children with uh, with Down syndrome changed your home? Like what what's like what's different about your home and your rhythm of life? You guys are laughing because it's it's like the short answer is everything. Right. But. <laughs> Well, actually, no, you'd be surprised. In a lot of ways, Dr. Rick, our, this experience with our three kids with Down syndrome is markedly different, yes, than it was with our first set of children, but it, the parallels are interesting. So, like, our kids with Down syndrome are just like any other kid. I mean, they have all the same needs. They just want you to love them and play with them and interact with them and make them laugh make and they want to like giggle. The most important. Yeah. yeah. They want to be the yeah. most important. They want to be your favorite, just like the other kids. I mean, they really do. And from that <laughs> perspective, I mean, we're sitting here at our 10 foot long dining room table. <laughs> um, and when the kids are here, it's like any of the other kids. I mean, they interact with our grandchildren. They're all the same age as our grandkids. Right. So yeah. they all interact with our grandkids. And when they're all here, you know, sure, everyone's being noisy and everyone's playing and every, you know, you don't, Just you don't feel, yeah, they're one of the bunch and you don't feel that difference. On the day to day, it's stuff like IEP meetings that you have mm. to go to, to ensure and fight for your kids to get a good education. Therapies. Therapies yeah. that I take them to on like all day Thursday and for part of the day on Tuesday, we go to therapies. Now, not a lot of families do, but we choose to do that because we know that that's they're working through some really hard things for us with our kids. Sure. And we're seeing some very positive effects. 
not all therapies result that way. And I totally get that. I don't want to judge anybody for not putting their kids in therapies. But for us, that works. So we do um, each week, we do 15 therapies a week um, with all three kids. So they're doing speech, they're doing swallowing, they're doing OT, they're doing PT. And then they have those a couple of times uh, a week. And so we have that, but you know, that's no different than running your kids to soccer and in, mm-hmm. you know, ballet and all the other things that you have to do. Right. So yeah. for me, the reason I can laugh is it isn't that everything is different. It almost feels like nothing's different because mm-hmm. really we're doing all those things anyway. Now in the beginning, when we first brought them home, a lot of doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Now we rarely do doctor's appointments now. It's more like you would expect for any child, right? Your yearly sure. physical, you might have to see a specialist here and there, but it's not a lot. But when we first brought them home, yeah, we had to run them through the gamut. And we spent the first six months of them being home, just running them all around to doctor and specialist and having this procedure and that done. And yes, you need your tonsils out and you need a sleep study. And you need to make sure that your whole body is working to the best of its ability. And we're going to help you do that. It was more like running the gauntlet. Yeah, well, it did feel that way. It does. It's like, you know, and, 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 and it's great being in a loving, supportive relationship here with sure. me and my husband. Because we are Team Reinhardt. We say it all the time. We high five like that all the time. Um, as we pass each other in the hallway, as we're, you know, passing each other in the garage, switching, you know, we've had, yeah, we've had one vehicle, our entire relationship. We refused to get more than one car. So we always made it work. We're literally running in and out. Um, and part of that, that makes that work is that, you know, we've taken turns. Well, we, we both used to work not from home, but since we've had Mm -hmm. our children, our three girls, one of us or both of us have always worked. Mm-hmm. And so that does help that make that work. But we've, we honestly, if someone came in into our home right now and they watched us for a day or two, they would say, gosh, this is like any other family and any other mm-hmm. set of children. You really can't tell the difference. Yeah. Now, Brooklyn, the little girl we brought home first, she also has autism. And she okay. has a moderate version of autism in addition to Down syndrome. She's primarily nonverbal, although she's working. She's a very loud kid. But, you know, I have a couple of grandkids that are louder than her. So I don't really consider it to be, you know, I don't consider it to be that abnormal. I don't know. I I don't know if that really answers the question. I don't want to I don't want to downplay, you know, the initial significance of it, because anybody, whether you give birth to a child with Down syndrome or you adopt them, you go through that initial. Oh, my goodness. Let's just jump through all these hoops. Right to get them everything they need. But after that, it quiets down, it settles. And then it's like, eh, it it's becomes a part of your life. And it's like any other child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, it totally makes sense. And, and I, I think, and, and I'm glad you said something that, that you said about um, comparing that to, you know, maybe the raising of your biological kids and, and that it's, it's therapy appointments. It's not, you know, soccer practice or, or, you know, piano lessons or piano recital or whatever. It's just, it's a, it's a different set of complexity, um, but, but not necessarily a, a greater set of complexity. And, and I think for, you know, for a lot of families, it, it also, I think maybe, maybe matters some that, that you've made the, made the choice going in to adopt a child with special needs. Um, 
And so your expectations are that there are going to be things that are different. I want to make sure we point out and and highlight the fact that that there is a, you know, the life that God's given you that um, that there's, you know, th- th- life is not that different. Um, it's just a different set of challenges and a different set of circumstances that you that you learn how to, you know, how to adapt to. And and so let's let's kind of talk. And, and again, you've taught, but I want to ask specifically about maybe some of the joys that have come as a result. Some of the things that that you would have missed maybe had, you know, had the Lord not brought these girls into your into your home. And, and so, you know, what's what's the we talk about the challenges all the time, but let's talk about the upside because there's a great one. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, I'll let Joe talk a little bit, too. I feel like I'm doing all the talking, but I. This that particular question makes me really excited because these girls are the most amazing kids I've ever met. And people put limitations on them all the time. Like we I homeschooled them for three years before we took them up to the school this year to to uh, join up at the school. And, you know, they did the testing on them and they came out and they were like, these girls are remarkable. You've done such a great job. And I'm like. Well, no, I think you're, you're, what I want to say is you're setting the bar way too low (laughs) because (laughs) these kids are remarkable in and of themselves. I mean, yes, I've taught them how to read. Yes, I've taught them how to do math. Those are things that people said they would never do. And they're doing them just fine. They're doing them just fine. That was them, not me. They're remarkable in and of themselves. But they bring crazy amounts of joy and laughter to our home. They're always doing silly things mm. and fun things poking and at each other. Po- yeah, they do poke at each other. But, you know, <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn uh, wants us to talk to her in a puppet voice, a dog voice um, all the time. So she'll do something she's not supposed to do. And then she'll look at us and go like this. And this means use your dog voice and I'll stop doing it. I mean, it's <laughs> just funny the way she does it. And so then we're going, Stop it right now, you know, and then she stops it. And, and she's laughing the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And that's funny. You know, that they are just incredible, incredible kids. And they're not at all what I expected in all in good ways. I mean, I really, you know, before we got Brooklyn, they said, oh, well, you may just expect her to behave and act like a six month old. And then you won't be disappointed. Mm. And I thought it was funny that someone would say that to us because she was three. And I thought, well, surely not. But, you know, it wouldn't have mattered to me if she did act like she was six months old. And she didn't. Mm. She was an immediate boss that took our hand and gave us a tour of the orphanage. She pointing to everything and telling us all about it in her own language. She already knew I was dad because you gave her that toy. So you yeah. take this to dad. She walks in the next room. This is like within, yeah. within yeah. hours. Yeah, that yeah. was incredible. She'd never heard the English language before. And I told her, oh, why don't you take your duck to daddy? And she toddled over, picked up the duck, went in the other room and gave it to Joe. It's like, how did you know that? Well, and then the books just stacked yeah. it up on the That's bed. Awesome. It was hilarious. Yeah, she wanted to get up on the bed. And so she stacked books to get up on the bed. I mean, there is no limitation. She is an incredible problem solver. And each one of the girls has a superpower. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn's is problem Mm -hmm. solving. Brinley's is empathy. And and Bella's is, what would you say hers is? 
Uh, she's got a couple, so. Yeah, she is. She, Bella is extraordinary and she can look at a situation and know exactly what it needs. She's the teacher, the leader, the mom, the instructor. I mean, in all of them. Yeah. She just jumps in and does whatever needs to be done. She takes great care of both Brinley and Brooklyn, even though she's the middle kid and the smallest of the bunch. That's awesome. Well, I love the, the again that you're able to highlight there something that I think we all see when we're we're parenting kids with special needs and learning differences and and those things is is that there are those things that they have been gifted by God to to do exceptionally well. And and what you learn through this process is not to see them in terms of their exceptionality for the things that they're challenged in. It's it's also and, and primarily to see them in terms of the exceptionality of the things that God has cut them out to do um, and to do very well and, and the things that bring joy to them and the things that bring joy to people around them. And so I really appreciate you, you know, you saying that. I think if you were going to give advice, and maybe we'll we'll kind of leave the the conversation here for now, although I certainly would want to come back and maybe we'll do a part two of this somewhere down the line. Um, but what advice would you would you share with a family who's considering um, adopting a child with, with special needs? A couple of things. The first one I would say is educate yourself um, because a lot of folks have this really wonderful heart and they just want to do the right thing. and. That's different than God's leading. So we're not talking about God's leading. God leads you, you go, that's it. But I'm talking about, you know, you just, you have folks who just want to do the right thing and they jump in and they didn't take the time to educate themselves. And I would say, educate yourself. There is nothing scary about adopting a kid with special needs as long as you're prepared for that. Like when I said that it wouldn't have mattered to us if Brooklyn really was acting and behaving and all of that like she was six months old mommy got her because we prepared our hearts for that we said it doesn't matter it does not matter what this child is like when we get her because we're committed to her and i think that it's really important that you have to go in with that mentality if you adopt go in with the mentality that it doesn't matter because it wouldn't matter with my biological child it shouldn't matter with my adopted child i'm committed a thousand percent to this child and doing what's right for them. And I think that that's a big part of it. Um, also, please don't take your child to your community pediatrician and think that they know everything <laughs> that is needed for your child. It, it, that, is a, that is a situation that gets all kinds of people into trouble. And unless your pediatrician has a separate residency in uh, you know, specialty kids, uh, don't just don't do it. And I I find that that's the thing that I want to tell everybody when our online groups, please take the time to take your kid to all of the specialists, take them to an adoption clinic, take them to all the things because, you know, even there's a difference between doctors. We were in Seattle. And then when we went to Texas and in Austin, Texas, they found things that were missed in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Just take the time Take your kids to all of the specialists. So that would be it. And then I would say, just do it. I mean, there's nothing hard about this. It's 
just a different set of things that you have to do. They're not harder. They're just different. And these kiddos, they are a, a million times amazing and absolutely worth it. They are worthy. God loves them. And he's just created them with these unique and special talents and abilities just for the family that they're going to be in. I look at our girls and I say, gosh, they fit they fit us perfectly. And they fit they, together perfectly. They fit together perfectly. <laughs> and they brought us so much joy. And if you can just trust the Lord that he knows better than you do about what you need. I mean, I, I walked away from a long-term career in, in healthcare. I don't even practice anymore because I'm spending time with my kids. And had I, would I pick that for myself several years ago? Absolutely not. I was very <laughs> career-oriented. But I know now that God knows what's best for me. He knows and he's leading me somewhere and I have to trust that. But you're still a warrior princess. You're just fighting on a different front. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. But but such a good word. Um, And and I think, you know, that's the um, that's the thing that we all, you know, can can talk about and, and testify to is. Uh, the Lord does know best and he knows just what we need and he knows just who uh, we need in our family and and those things. And and we'll and we'll bring the resources and the opportunities around us in order to, you know, to bring that to pass. And and I think um, at this point, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for um, sharing your story. Thank you for um, your your openness with all that. God has done in your heart and in your family and um, the the good and the difficult and all of it. Um, just thanks for thanks for time to uh, to encourage all of us uh, about what what the Lord can do and uh, and and ultimately what what God God is you know is is doing through our obedience. And so, um, Brenda, Joe, thanks. You guys are awesome. We're going to we're going to we're going to do this again, I promise. And in the meantime, we need to figure out some time to hang out. So um, (laughs) thanks for thanks for joining us on the Defender podcast. We um, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for um, your choice uh, to spend a a little bit of time with us this week. And uh, we pray that as uh, the Lord continues to move you through your your week, that uh, that you will seek and find ways to put the gospel on display uh, in the lives of uh, the most vulnerable in a way that that puts Jesus on display. And so uh, we love you. We thank you. We'll see you here next week. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.